Okay, we are in Numbers chapter 26. Numbers chapter 26. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we recognize there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And I pray, Father, that as we break open your word this morning, it would convict our heart and help us to realize that we have such a beautiful opportunity to repent and to grow in you. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that your word this morning would speak to the deepest recesses of our heart, the deepest recesses of whatever our needs might be, that we would be encouraged to walk with you. And Father, I pray your blessing upon each one who's here, that they might be able to receive your word with all truth and purity. And Lord, use me as your minister of the gospel, that I might be able to speak your truth in love and also in purity of heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, to me, it's such an interesting thing that it seems like people live just for this life. They live for just this world. And even using simple logic, we realize that who we really are is more intrinsic than physical. I mean, we have these physical bodies. We get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and sometimes as we're getting older, it's kind of like, you know. But anyway, we get up, we look in the mirror, we see ourselves, we have our bodies. How we actually interact with our world and with our environment is, is with our bodies. But any of us, if we truly think about it, we know who we really are is something that is non-physical, that is in here. It's our personality, it's our likes, our dislikes, our love, our passion. It's something that is in here. And so we realize that then what is intrinsic in us is eternal. The body can die, and it will someday, barring the rapture, it's going to die and be buried in the ground. But who we are cannot die. And so this is the question. Once your body is laid in the grave, where do you, who you really are, want to be? Do you want to be in heaven or do you want to be in hell? But how could God send anyone to hell? Well, he hasn't sent anyone to hell. Men choose to go to hell. God has provided the free gift of life. We are born sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born sinners. And God in his love provided a way through Jesus Christ that any, anyone, and guess how many is, are included in anyone? All. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so all we have to do is cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, God, save me a sinner. And he does. You know, people try to make it so difficult. Well, if I want to become a, a Christian, I have to go through confirmation classes, and I have to go through this, and I have to... No, you don't. You don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is confess and admit the truth, which you know in your own heart is, you're a sinner. And then ask God to forgive you, which he will, and to come in by his Holy Spirit and take over your life, which he will. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when we read portions of Scripture like this in the Old Testament, they might seem somewhat vague and like, how does that apply? But we have to remember that everything that was written in the past was written for what? For our learning through constant endurance of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at a, a very interesting portion of Scripture this, uh, this afternoon. And it's all about numbering. It's all about a census, listing each tribe and each, you know, the numbers and each members of the tribe and so forth, which we're going to find in a moment. I'm not going to read all of it, but um, 
So what's happening in this portion of Scripture is after 38 years, God commands a second census. When the children of Israel first came out of Egypt and they crossed over into the desert of Sinai, God commanded them to take a census. And now, after this period of time, after 38 years, he's commanding them to take a census, a census once more. Why? So that they might be able to know how many is in each tribe to regulate the genealogy of the people. Because what would happen is when they came into the promised land, they, were, they would actually by lot select which portion of land they would go in. And if you had larger numbers, you had a larger piece of property that was given to you. You had a smaller number, a smaller piece of property would be given to you. You know what that shows? How fair God is. He gives us what we need. Now, this census was also used to determine uh, the genealogy of the Messiah. And that's the importance, the most important thing that it is to us. Because we know that Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. And one of, one of the things we're going to find this morning, it was Judah that led the army of Israel, that led the children of Israel. It's amazing. Now, um, the fact is that God was taking this census to prepare them for the land that they were going to go in and conquer. Now, one of the things that's, um, that's interesting, because God gave the promise that he was giving them the land, and that's all they needed, right? If God gives you a promise, that's all you need. But God, in his mercy and compassion to we frail humans, he was also willing to have them number the size of the army to give them confidence. All they needed was his promise, but he was willing to give them more, to give them confidence that they had enough to go in and conquer the land. And you know, the Lord has land for you and I to conquer. And so often, in his mercy and his kindness, he also shows us everything that he has given that we might be able to go in and take possession of those areas that he has promised us. Now, one of the things that's interesting, we find except for Joshua and Caleb, there were no others who entered into the promised land under 57. How many of you here are, you don't have to raise your hand, who are over 57? You couldn't go in. You couldn't go in. And you might be saying, well, why only those under 57 could enter in? Well, the reason is, is when Joshua and Caleb came back with their report, about the promised land. They said, hey, it's, it's ready for us. Boy, I'll tell you what, with God's help, we can go in. It's beautiful. We can take this land. But remember what the 10 other spies said? They said, well, it's true. It is a beautiful land. It is flowing with milk and honey. But we saw men there, and, and there were giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so they were afraid to go in. Well, those 10 went through the camp and convinced the camp of Israel not to go in. So God said, you don't want to go in? Okay, you won't. And so anyone who is 20 years and older, of fighting age, that was at the time of the first census, you won't enter in. You're afraid to go in, you're not going to go in. But your children will, he said. And so this second census is of all the children that were going to enter in, except for Joshua and Caleb. Because Joshua and Caleb, remember, brought back a good report. And so Joshua and Caleb, as they're entering into the promised land, were in their 80s. That's good news for some of us, because they went in, and I'll tell you what, they took down giants. <laughs> and uh, 
So anyway, just a great encouragement for old guys. Um, <clears throat> now, in Numbers 26, I'm going to start off by just reading verses 1 through 4. Because here, here's the whole thing. To go through this whole chapter word for word is not profitable for a number of reasons. Number one, it's just repetitious of a number of names and, and genealogies and how many were in each tribe and so forth. And the second part is I can't read the names. So <laughs> I had an um, Old Testament uh, professor when I was taking survey of the Old Testament, and he said, you understand nobody reads the names right anyway. He said, everybody reads the names different. You know, like Eleazar, Eleazar, both. Anyway, that's just a little side note. Okay, Numbers chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass after the plague. So we know this is right after chapter 25. Remember the plague came in chapter 25 because they were worshiping false gods. That the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying... Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's house, all who are able to go to war in Israel. Now, it's interesting that he said all that are able to go to war because you have those under 20, they felt they weren't prepared, they weren't old enough or mature enough to go into war. And also, there are some that had disabilities. Maybe they just had one limb or whatever. So you see how God is so just, you know, those that are able to go to war. He didn't push people into things that they're incapable of doing. And the same thing is true with us. We might not have any physical disabilities. Maybe we do. But the reality is God is not going to push us into doing things we're not capable of. But here's the difference under the new covenant. He can grow new limbs. He can grow new hearts. And so the Lord can make us, prepare us, that we can enter into those areas that maybe once we're, we were unable to. <clears throat> so, uh, verse 3. So Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Take a census uh, of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. In other words, he re he's reminding them this is the second cens census that they're taking. And so the Lord was showing them that he was preparing an army to conquer the land that he promised way back to Abraham. In fact, go to Genesis chapter 12. And go to verse 6, Genesis 12, 6. <clears throat> and this is even before Abram had his name changed to Abraham. Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. In Genesis chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, starting with verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Terebinth uh, tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God gave Abram a promise that his children would possess this land of Canaan. Here's the interesting thing. Abram was given that promise 480 years before it occurred. 480 years before it occurred, he was given that promise. Well, 
What does that speak to us? The Lord does not always keep his promises according to our timetable. You know, we say, Lord, I just put everything into your hands. Bless me now. <laughs> you know, we want everything now. We want everything right away. But we have to realize God will always keep his promise, always keep his promises, but in his time. You know, every generation has said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Every generation has said that. But the fact is that every generation said it because they believed it, because they had that promise from God. But the fact is, there is a key to the promise of the Lord's return that other generations didn't have, and that's called Israel. On May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. In 1967, they took Jerusalem. And it now came, comes under the hand of the Israelites, just as God had prophesied. So we're, we are living in that, in that time. As a matter of fact, it gives us a clue about that time in which the Lord would come back uh, for his church. And, he's, and it says lawlessness would abound. And lawlessness is abounding. And I'm not only talking about the th crazy things that are going on in the world. I'm talking about lawlessness in the hearts of men. I mean, the fact and the reality is we've become so narcissistic and self-centered as a people, it's absolutely disgusting. You know, have you ever looked at yourself and thought about yourself and have been disgusted? I have. I've looked at myself, I've thought about myself, and thought, man, all I think about is myself. All I think about is how this affects me. You know, I, I have such a, a hard attitude. I, I, I need to be more concerned about others' than my others' needs than my own. That's what the Bible tells me to do. And so... Lawlessness is abounding in our world, but we can't allow it to abound in our hearts. We need to go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. Help me consider the needs of others above my own, which is what Scripture tells us. Help me to have that attitude, Lord, because I desire to see people saved. And the reality is that as you follow all the signs that are given to us concerning prophecy of the last days, if you read the book of Revelation carefully, if you read a good commentary that goes along with the book of Revelation, uh, which the title of, of a really good commentary, if you want to get a, a hold of it, is the book of Revelation made plain and clear by Frank Thomas. But anyway, uh, you really want to follow along the prophecies of Revelation, and we realize we're in that time. I mean, Jesus Christ could come back for his church before we finish. Now, here's the point. Anyone who's saved is going to go in the rapture. It's actually taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up. And it's from Thessalonians. We shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But we have to be ready by being born again, by giving our life to Jesus Christ, because only those who are saved are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in heaven. Now, it doesn't mean there'll be no chance after the rapture for people to be saved. Scripture makes it very clear that actually I believe the greatest revival this world has ever seen will be after the rapture. As a matter of fact, so many people will convert to Jesus Christ that the Antichrist will have to come up with a system in order to identify and number them that he might put him to death. But nevertheless, the Scripture says that you and I should pray that we're counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. And so 
we have to realize that God is always giving, giving us encouragement through his word to let go of the world, to let go of these things that we can't hang on to anyway and just reach after God. Because here's a, an old euphemism, an old saying that I'm sure all of you have heard, and it's 100% true. You ready for it? It's really profound. You've got to really think. Ready? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You can't. But what God has given is entrusted to him, and this world can't touch it. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. Remember that old praise song we used to sing? It's absolutely amazing how wonderful our God is. Now, um, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Write it down if you take notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all, that doesn't mean a few or most, for all the promises of God in him, in who? In Jesus Christ. He's our guarantee. He's our assurance. Our yes, and in him, amen. That's taken from the Hebrew amin, which means and so be it. It shall be, it means. To the glory of God through us. So all the promises of God are yes and amen. Every one of them. Well, you mean anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Yep. You mean if you're born again Christian, be before God's wrath is poured out on this world, you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Yep. He's not appointed us to, unto wrath, but unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you mean... We're going to experience all the glories of heaven by being born again? Yep, that's his promise. Do you mean that we're going to come back with him and reign on earth after the end of the tribulation during the millennial kingdom? Yep, yes and amen in the Lord. Do you mean that after the millennial reign of Christ, when he destroys this present heaven and earth and creates a new heaven and earth, we're going to be with him for all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth? Yep. It's so amazing to me that so, sometimes like, people say, well, that's just too amazing to believe. I can't believe it. That just seems out of... The, I mean, who, 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 who could believe any of that? And then they go to the Marvel movies. <laughs> you know? You got Hulk and all these guys. You know? And, oh, I love those movies. They're so real. Well, I know you know they're not real. But my point is, there's so many things that people do believe. Things that, you know, some of the theologies that, that non-Christians have take a whole lot more faith than the reality, than the truth of God's Word. For instance, do you realize how many people are out there that believe that there was nothing, and then it exploded, and then the pieces and fragments went all over, and then they somehow came into perfect alignment and unity, and then you had moons holding different planets in orbit, and then all of a sudden there was this, um, you know, something went into the waters that came from nowhere, and that created a little, um, you know, some kind of one-celled organism that all of a sudden developed into man. It is so complex we can't understand it. Isn't that amazing? Why is that easier to believe than that there is a God in heaven who created the heavens and earth just as it says? He created us in his image. He created man. To me, that's a lot easier to believe. And I was a science major. 
I mean, you really think about it. How, do you know how complex? Well, Charles Darwin, in, in, his, uh, in his book, wrote that if the human cell, and those of you who are into science, this will blow your mind. Charles Darwin, in his Origin of Species, he wrote this. If the human cell is any more complex than a ping pong ball, my theory cannot be valid. Well, now we know the human cell is like a city. You know what I mean? You have DNA, you have RNA, you have all these. You know, I mean, it's like a whole city. So the reality is that it's silly to believe that we were, you know, just evolved, came from nothing. Because you think of the laws of thermodynamics. Everything goes from order to chaos, right? Well, according to evolution, every, everything went from chaos to order. It's impossible. It doesn't even follow their own theories of science. But anyway, I'm getting off the track here. Numbers 26, verse 51. What's that? I keep hearing... What is it? Oh, you color kids. You go ahead and color. You know what? I just don't hear things right. But I, I, I want to give a compliment, okay? Seriously. You know, because of everything that's going on, we haven't been having children's church. And so uh, a couple of the young women, to me they're young, a couple of the women from the church came up with the idea, because the children can't go to children's church, let's have these little bags for them that they can have some lollipops in so that their teeth, you know, get cavities and they can go to Olivia and she can uh, fix their teeth. And then we'll also have coloring books that they can color and, and keep themselves busy. And also, the sound of the crayon will cause the pastor to wonder what in the world's going on. But anyway, um, you understand my point. I think it's a great idea. Look at how good these kids are. They're not, they're not making a noise. Just, that's it. <laughs> you go ahead and color away, kids. Okay, where was I? Um, in verse, uh, in chapter 26, verse 51, listen to this. Chapter 26, verse 51. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel. Pay attention to this. 601,730. And you might be saying, why, why are you paying attention to that? Look at how exact that number is. How, it doesn't say somewhere around 400,000. It gives an exact number. And you know why it gives an exact number? Because every person is, is important to God in his economy. Every person, every single person is important to God. And that's why the number is so exact. It's not vague. And um, he's very specific in his relationship with us, too. He knows every one of us personally. Do you understand that? It says he knows the numbers of the hair on our head. And that's amazing for me. I mean, he has to be uh, good at subtraction. But, um, but he does. He even knows the numbers of the hairs of our head. That's, the, that's how specific our God is. He loves each one of us individually and personally. It's so amazing. Now, remember, this number was only the men of fighting age, not those under 20, nor, nor those who were unable to fight. Now, this number did not include women, nor those under 20, nor the Levites. The Levites weren't counted in that number because they had no inheritance in the new land. God was their inheritance. They were the servants of God. 
And therefore, we assume the total number of Israel, pay attention to this, the total number of Israel was more than two and a half million people. Do you understand how large that number is? Well, just to give you a comparison, Onondaga County has 460,000 people. That's six times the population of Onondaga County. Think of how big Onondaga County is and how many people there are all over. Six times that number in one gathering. It's absolutely amazing. And no wonder that they were a frightening group to behold by their enemy. You know, Balaam goes up there and he's told to, by Balak to curse him, and then he couldn't. And so Balak said, well, maybe because he sees how huge they are, I'm going to take him into this place where he can only see part of the tribe. Maybe he can curse them then. Of course, he couldn't. Because whether you see all of Israel or not, God does. And um, it's amazing. And uh, so, so no wonder they were frightened. And um, there were noticeable increases as we, if, if you want to, when you go home, read all the genealogies and figure out how to pronounce the names on your own, you're welcome to do that. But one of the things that, that we uh, number, we, under, we notice is there are noticeable increases in some tribes and decreases in other tribes. Judah, which was always in the front as they marched, and Dan, which was always in the back, took the rear guard. You guys remember from infantry training in the army? You had a front guard, you had a back guard. Judah and Dan, their tribes increased. Their tribes increased. So, to me, that is amazing. And, um, but now, as you look at it, um, the most remarkable decrease, in other words, the tribe that decreased actually more than in half, was the tribe of Simeon. They decreased by more than half. And what about Simeon? We just read in, in chapter 25 that um, you had uh, Zimri, who was the son of the leader of the Simeonites. Zimri was a Simeonite. And we found out that the Simeonites were all involved in this idol worship. And the plague came and killed 40,000 of them, or 24,000. So these were the people who obviously fell into idolatry. And it's um, telling because we're going to find as we move on before Moses, you know, never entered into the promised land. You guys all realize that. And, uh, but he never entered in. But before, he blessed all the tribes of Israel, except the tribe of Simeon. He never blessed them. And to me, that is, that is very sobering to realize that God, even though he loves us all as his family, he's not going to bless sin and rebellion. And they sinned and they rebelled against him. Now, we have to realize that their sin and rebellion was due to unbelief. They really didn't believe God. And sometimes I ask myself, do I really believe God? I do. I'm born again. I love Jesus. But the thing is, if I really believe God, how much more time would I spend in prayer? Because he hears and answers prayer. If I really believe, in, if I had faith and I believe in God, he answers prayer. If I really believed and had faith in God, why wouldn't I spend more time reading his word? Because in his word are all the mysteries of life. They're all revealed. 
and they make sense. If I really believed in God and had faith, why wouldn't I share the salvation message with everyone I have opportunity to? Now, I'm mentioning as you have opportunity to. I mean, you don't walk up to a stranger and say, hi there, are you saved? They're going to go, no. <laughs> you know, the point I'm getting at is there are plenty of opportunities that every one of us have at work, maybe at sporting events, maybe wherever it might be, social events, family gatherings, that we'll have opportunity to share our faith. If we really believe, we would share our faith. Because we have to realize that God desires for none to perish, but all to come to salvation. Now, it was unbelief, remember, that kept 10 of those spies and those who they convinced from going into the promised land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, entered in. And um, the problem was with those 10 spies that came back to the camp of Israel is they did not portray God in the manner he should have been portrayed. Joshua and Caleb said, the land's ours, let's go in and take it. They portrayed God as they should. The other 10 spies said, well, you know, there's a lot of giants in the land. I don't in other words, they were saying, God isn't big enough or strong enough to give us the promise he made. That's what they were saying. And it ended up convincing that whole um, army. And that's the reason that those at the time that the 10 spies convinced all of Israel not to go in, that's the reason that those 20 and over, that were 20 at that time and over, would not enter in. That's how we know there's no one older than 47 because this census is 37 years later. Now, um, our lack of faith and, and unbelief can also prevent others from entering into the promised land. I mean, really think about it. Everywhere you go as a believer, you're a witness. And if you go around and say, oh, this world is just horrible. I'm just so afraid. I don't this world. There's no hope. I have nothing there. Well, you know, you're like the 10 spies that bring a bad report. But if you go around saying, you know what? It doesn't make any difference what's going on in the world. I belong to Jesus. Jesus is always victor. In him is the victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. I really believe. We want to be Joshua and Caleb's, don't we? To go out and share the truth with the rest of the world. Because God still needs valiant warriors who believe in all the promises that we might carry forth the gospel. You know what gospel means? Good news. The only good news we have in this world is Jesus Christ. The good news isn't on TV. You watch the news, and I, I don't think any of us sit and watch the news at night if we do, and we say, boy, that was good news. Wow, I'm really encouraged. None of us do that. But there is good news. Jesus Christ is Lord. And anyone who belongs to him is saved and is going to heaven. And the recognition that before everything really falls apart, Jesus Christ is coming for his church. That's the good news. Brothers and sisters, our world is getting darker and darker. But here's the good news. The greater the darkness, the brighter our light shines right? The greater the darkness, the greater our light shines. Because our promised inheritance is not on this side of the Jordan. 
Our promised inheritance, just like the children of Israel, is not on this side of the Jordan. The Jordan is a euphemism for death, crossing over. Our promise is with God. And so we have to realize that we can't go along with the darkness of this world. Like people come up to you, everything's falling apart, the world's going crazy if you listen to news, and you go, yes, I know, you know, what good are you? You're just going along. But people come out, the world's falling apart, it's crazy, everything's going crazy. Yeah, but Jesus is in control. Yeah, but to be absent from this body is going to be present with the Lord. Yeah, Jesus is coming back for, for his church right at a time that is prophesied like we're living in. That's the good news. And so there's never been a time for believers to be more encouraged and more positive in the, in the Lord than today. And understand, brothers and sisters, this is so important to understand. Being blessed of God has nothing to do with material possessions. The trinkets of this world mean nothing compared to the promises we have in God. They mean nothing. And so don't be discouraged because you don't have this or because you don't have that. You have the one thing that's important, Jesus Christ. Be thankful for what you have. Praise God for what you have. What you have, let it be a blessing to you and to your family and to everyone around you. But don't be seeking after blessed, you know, material things. Don't be thinking. Don't be seeking after the things of this world. Be seeking after the things that are of God from above, the things of the Spirit. Father, I thank you so much for you, for the salvation we share together, for the victory that we have over you, the promise of heaven, and the fact that all the bad news of this world cannot even come near dimming the hope and the light that we have in you. And so, Father, come and minister your word and your truth to each one of our hearts and help us to walk after you with all of our strength. I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends. And if you're not saved, get saved before you leave. Commit your life to Christ. And I'm willing to pray and talk to anyone who's not saved.